The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Wow, good group here this morning. All right, confession time. I am a professional lawn killer. Professional lawn killer. About a year ago, my wife and I, we moved into our home, and in our backyard, we had, no joke, probably about four to five inches of sand in our entire backyard. I have no clue why. Uh, I don't think the previous homeowner was aware of Fresno stray cat uh, problem that it has and what stray cats do in big areas of sand. Um, but that was our backyard, four to five inches of sand. And my wife and I, man, we really had a vision for what we wanted to do in the back. So we worked really hard. We dug out all the sand. We tilled the ground. We planted grass seed. We put down lots of topsoil. And do you know what happened? After watering and spending a lot of time and energy after a couple of weeks, we had a really nice backyard. I think we got a picture of it up here for you. I was like, after sand to that, I was, I was pretty impressed. I was pretty my proud of myself. Uh, and you know what I learned kind of as I was doing that? You, you don't get a great looking backyard by accident. And as I started thinking about that, I said, you know, it's, it's the same is true for our lives. As individuals, we don't grow on accident. We grow when we work at it. We grow when we put in the time and the effort and we have environments where we can grow. And the same is true for us collectively as a church. We're not going to accidentally, as a church, stumble into everything God has for us. I mean, we're not just going to be going along, doing the church thing, and all of a sudden like, oh, hey, look, we're doing everything God wants us to. No, it takes intentionality. And we as a church, we need environments so that we can be all that God has us to be. And at Ambassador, our Connection Group Bible Studies really create those environments so that we can experience the biblical community that God has called us to and so that we can thrive and grow as a church and in our own spiritual lives. Uh, The theme for our message this morning is a growing Christian places himself in intentional community with other believers. A growing Christian places himself in this kind of intentional community with other believers so they can experience all that God has for them because they realize I'm not going to grow by accident. And since I'm a part of the church and collectively we're not going to be all that God has us to be by accident, we want to have this kind of intentional community. God created us to be in community with other believers. Think about it. In Genesis, the very first thing that God says is not good is that man's alone. Uh, If you look at the nation of Israel, God used that group of people to bring the Messiah into the world. He used a group of people. When Jesus does come on the scene, what's he do? He takes a group of 12 people, and he disciples them, and he trains them, and he does his whole life with them. Why? So they can lead the local church, a group of people that are called out for a specific reason. The majority of the commands in the New Testament are given to us within the context of community. You can't faithfully obey everything that God calls you to do. You can't be the type of Christian that God wants you to be by yourself without the church. There's no such thing as solo Christianity. As you study the New Testament, as you study the way God works, he, grew, he works, yes, with individuals, but in the context of groups of people, there's no such thing as solo Christianity. You study the book of Acts, and it's amazing. Right after people make that initial decision to place their trust in Jesus, what do they do? They get committed to a church. They form a group of people, and we see the church beginning to take shape. The majority of the New Testament epistles, they're written to churches or groups of churches or leaders of churches. There's no such thing as uh, solo Christianity. And if we want to be a spiritually thriving church, if we want to have a thriving walk with God, we need to place ourselves in biblical community. So for the corporate health of our church, Connection Group Bible Studies, because those are the environment where we can have that community. Connection Group Bible Studies are vital. 
And I would say for our own individual spiritual health, being a part of a group that's thriving and growing and that's loving Jesus is going to be vital. And as you study the New Testament church, you're going to see three things play out again and again and again in various different aspects. And these are the three things that really drive at Ambassador how we do our connection groups. As you study the New Testament, you'll see these almost pillars, and they really drive how we do our connection groups here. You'll see application to the Word of God. You'll see accountability to one another, and then you'll see spiritual affirmation of one another. These are the three things that drive how we do our groups. So the first of the three purposes, let's jump into it. Our first purpose is greater application. Greater application. The Bible says this in Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them... I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon the rock. So Jesus is saying, whoever hears my teaching, whoever hears the word of God and lives it out, allows the word of God to change his life, Jesus is saying, that's a wise thing to do because you're building your life on a sturdy foundation. It's like building a house on a rock. And this way, when the storms of life come, you're going to have that sure foundation. You are going to be set. Verse 25, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. And beat upon the house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded on a rock. But notice verse 26. Jesus goes on, he says, Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus reminds us. That it's not just enough to listen to the Word of God. It's not just enough to hear it. You, actually, you have to actually apply it. You have to have a heart posture that says, God, I don't want to just hear. I want to be changed. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this in James 1.22. He says, Be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He says, If you hear the Word of God, but you don't apply it, you don't allow yourself to be changed, changed. James is saying, you're deceiving your own self. And then I love this. He gives us this great illustration. He says, if any man's a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his face, his natural face in a glass. You say, what's a glass? A glass is just simply a mirror. You say, what's, what's, my, what's in a natural face? Let's forsake of illustration. It's how you look when you first wake up in the morning. So James is saying, hey, if you don't apply the word, you're like a guy who wakes up in the morning now, I want you to imagine I'm waking up first thing in the morning, and I'm in my pajamas here. Bear with me. This is going to take a second. All right, here we go. You're like a man. You wake up. And what are you? You're in your pajamas. I mean, okay, I don't wake up with my glasses on. You wake up, and, and what's it like? Okay, you got stuff in your eyes. You can't hardly see. You have drool marks coming down the side of your face. If you're a guy, and you have facial hair. I hope I have to clarify. I don't have to clarify that. Anyways, you know, your beard's sticking everywhere. You have stuff growing on your face that wasn't there this morning. Your hair's like a rat's nest. And you go to the mirror, and you look in the mirror, and you're like, yeah, I'm good. And you go about your day. Now, nobody does that, right? Unless you're going to Walmart, which apparently that's socially acceptable. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, nobody wakes up in the morning, looks at their face, and they're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to go to church. I'm ready to go to my job. No, if I did that, I would be deceiving myself into thinking I was okay. And James is saying, just as ridiculous as it is for us not to get dressed in the morning and to change and to take a shower, that's how it is when we don't apply the Word of God. Excuse me while I take off my pajamas. (laughs) Never thought I'd be doing this on a stage in front of everybody, but, you know, first time for everything. 
If that wasn't my wife, there's going to be serious issues. All right. No, but seriously, think about this. The grace of God is always going to lead you to obedience to the Word of God. The grace of God is always going to lead you to obedience to the Word of God. And we want to be in an environment where the people in our group have a desire just to be changed by the Word of God. Now, we have to be careful because when we read passages like this, we hear, well, man, I don't want to, be, I don't want to just be a doer of the Word. I don't want to be a hearer and not a doer. And so we'll go to the Bible, and every morning it's like, all right, God, give me my checklist for the day. Give me ten things I need to do today. And the truth is, that's not what Jesus is telling us either. We have to be careful against having that mentality. We read the Bible to become a kind of person, not create a long list. We come to the Bible most deeply because of who we will see. We will see God. We will see Jesus. John 1 says the Word was God. So we go to the Bible not to create this long list every morning, but so that we can see Jesus. Because whenever we consistently look at Jesus, we will be changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory. So as we constantly go to the Word and have a heart that says, God, I want you to change me. When we go to the Word and say, Lord, I just, I want to see you. God's going to change us. God is going to do a great work in our lives. And as we do that, when the aim of our Bible reading is astonishment, and when the aim of our Bible reading is to see Jesus and to be wowed by Jesus, and we have a heart that just says, God, I want you to change me. It works first in our hearts, and then it changes our person, and then it prepares us for application, and application leads us to a joy-filled, spiritually thriving life. Jesus said, John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. James 1, 25 says, whoever is a doer and not a hearer only, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Jesus loves to bless true application to the word, and when we are seeking to apply the word of God to our lives, to allow his grace to change us, and to produce that obedience to the word, we're going to have a spiritually thriving life. And a growing Christian, they want to be in a community where that's taking place. A growing Christian, they're going to intentionally put themselves and have other people in their life who have the same heart and who have the same desire because they realize it's not a solo effort. I need other people in my life to help me apply the word of God. I need to be, have other people in my life so I can help them apply the word of God. Great groups are constantly asking, hey guys, how are we allowing the word of God to change us? How, how are we allowing our thought processes to change and our motives to change and our mind to change? How are we allowing the word of God to renew our mind? It's one thing to listen to preaching, and that's vital. We have to sit under the preaching of the word of God. But we also have to seek to apply it and allow ourselves to be changed by it. That's why your connection group leaders, sometimes they'll nag you about getting your lesson done on time. Why? Because your leaders want you to have time throughout the week so you can allow the Word of God to change you. A growing Christian will place themselves in an intentional community where this is happening. So we see greater application. Next, we're going to see elevated accountability. Elevated accountability. I believe that it's the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God that changes a person. And I also believe that one of the ways the Holy Spirit uses the grace of God and the Word of God is through other believers. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James is saying, hey, look, you need to be in community. You need to be in an environment where you can confess stuff, where you can tell people, hey, guys, I am struggling today. 
Why? So they can pray for you, so that you can experience the healing work of God. And if we're not in that community, we don't have the opportunity to confess, we might not ever experience the healing that God wants to give us. And so James is telling us, you need to place yourself in this kind of community. God wants to use other believers in your life so that you can grow into all God has you to be. Now, I know when we hear the word accountability, we cringe a little bit, don't we? I mean, as Americans, we've bought the lie that my business is mine and nobody else's. But I want you to consider this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor during World War II in Germany. He was actually a Nazi resistor. Um, He was a pastor. Ultimately, he was a martyr for the faith. He says, Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. There's, there's power and mutual accountability towards other believers. Isaiah, actually, he warns the nation of Israel about having this kind of lone ranger mentality. In Isaiah 47.10, he says, you, you trusted in your wickedness. You were secure in your wickedness. Why were you secure in your wickedness? Because you said, no one seeth me. I'm all by myself. Nobody sees me. And Isaiah is saying, you, you, because nobody, you didn't think anybody was around, because you thought you were by yourself, you got secure in your own wickedness. He says, thy wisdom and thy knowledge, this wisdom and knowledge that said, I'm okay by myself. This wisdom and knowledge that says, I don't need anybody. He says, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thy heart, I am, and no one else beside me. He has a pretty strong rebuke for them, thinking, I'm okay by myself. I'm wise, I'm good, no one sees me. And they got secure. What happened? They got secure in the wickedness. And because they had that Lone Ranger mentality, it led to their destruction. I mean, every person tends to think that they're wise, right? I mean, most of us, when we're getting around talking with friends, solving the world's problems, most of us have the answers, right? At least we think we do. All of us tend to think we're wise in that we don't really need accountability. Yeah, that's for those people. But uh, the wisdom of God actually has some pretty strong words for that. Proverbs 26, 12 says, See thou man that's wise in his own conceit? says there's more hope of a fool than for him. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. I mean, because of that, accountability is taking a bad rap. This kind of mutual accountability where we're mutually accountable to other people in our connection group Bible studies. The truth is, because our hearts are deceitful, we, ha- we all have blind spots. There's areas in my life that I can't see. I have blind spots. And the reason I need other people is so they can help me see and identify those blind spots that I wouldn't otherwise know about if I didn't have a community of believers. God knows the natural propensity of our heart. That's why he gave us the church. He said, you guys need each other. And the reason we need people helping us see our blind spots is because there's danger in our blind spots. I mean, think about when you're driving. If you change lanes and you don't check your blind spot, you could very easily get in a car accident and somebody could die. There's danger in our blind spots. And we need other believers in our life who can help us see those blind spots. I have in my car this big giant rearview mirror. It actually eliminates my blind spots. I can see like almost the back of my head. It's so big. Um, but that, that, that mirror is a lot like accountability. Why? It shows me the danger that's in my blind spots. And we need a group of people in our lives to help us see and identify those blind spots. But the point behind accountability doesn't just have to be about calling out sin and hearing hard words of rebuke. You see, authentic accountability should also be a time to build each other up and encourage each other towards God's goodness and grace found in the cross of Jesus. Real quickly, what I want to do is I want to give us five characteristics that actually make accountability life-giving. 
life-giving characteristics of mutual accountability. Number one, we express a genuine love for one another because God has transformed our friendship into family. We're devoted to one another. Uh, there's a scripture with each one of these. I'm not going to read them all. You can go and read them later. But John 15, 17, Romans 12, 10 talk about that. We're family. We're transformed. We're devoted to one another. Number two, each week we have a choice to extend grace or judgment. The truth is we can display, we can extend the love and grace of Jesus because God has already judged, or God's already judged Jesus for that sin. So when come, someone comes and they're struggling with the sin, you don't have to extend judgment. Judgment's already been paid for that sin. You can extend the grace and mercy and love of God, Romans 14, 13. Number three, each of us have an opportunity to be honest, which we may not have accomplished had we not been an intentional community. There's things in your life that you need to be honest with people about, and unless you're in an intentional community, you might not have that. Number four, there will be times when we need to extend forgiveness. Honest friendship sometimes leads to hurting other people. And we need to be in an environment where we can extend forgiveness and where we can receive forgiveness from other people. Romans 12, 16, Colossians 3, 13 talk about this. And last, number five, we can bear each other's burdens in prayer. Galatians 6 talks about this. We can bear each other's burdens in prayer. Mutual accountability can be a means in which God draws us through friendship and fellowship of others to himself. Mutual accountability is an environment where God draws us through those in our connection group to God. God wants to use it. Uh, Trillia Newbell said, self-sufficiency says we don't need anyone. And as Americans, we all like to think we're self-sufficient, right? Self-sufficiency says I don't need anyone, but humility shouts for help from the people that God has placed in our lives. The truth is, if we're not being intentional about seeking community, we might not have anyone to shout to. That's why a growing Christian, they're going to place themselves in an environment where they can have this mutual accountability so they can have people around them who can help them and see them grow into the image of Christ. Last of our purposes, greater application, elevated accountability. Lastly, spiritual affirmation. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have bad days. Any of you ever have a bad day? <laughs> Any of you, maybe you ever watch the news and you just get really discouraged and you're like, where is our world going? Some of you, you're like, I just don't even watch it anymore. I don't know about you, but sometimes I see how much growing I have to do in my life, and I get discouraged. And then I get discouraged because I'm discouraged, because I'm like, I probably shouldn't be discouraged. You know what we all need? We just need someone to come and put their arm around us and encourage us. Say, I love you, brother. We need spiritual affirmation. And the reason this is one of our three purposes is because this is an incredibly powerful tool of the grace of God. Paul said this to the church of Thessalonica. He said, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. Basically, he's saying, he's like, encourage one another. Build each other up. Why? Because we all need encouragement. Now, bear with me for a sec. This might seem like a rabbit trail, but it's going to make sense in just a minute. The point of being created in the image of God is that human beings are destined to display God. That's what an image does. An image displays whatever it's created after. Now, obviously, sin has really messed this up. And the point of being redeemed by Jesus and renewed after the image of our creator is to recover that destiny. We as human beings are meant to display the glory of God. We as human beings are meant to display his image. That is something that we should praise in each other. Like, look, I know you're having a bad day, but you are made in the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. That is awesome. Uh, Psalms 139 says, I will praise thee. Why? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. 
God did a great job when he was making you. Sometimes I'll tell this to my wife. I'll go up to her and be like, hey, babe, you got a good work of God right here. Doesn't, yeah, that's what she does. She laughs at me. No, but the fact is we're created in the image of God, and that is worth praising. That is worth encouraging one another with. God doesn't do bad work. God doesn't make junk. I know sometimes you're like me and you feel like a failure. The truth is you are not a failure. You are God's creation. You are God's child. And in our connection groups, these ought to be an environment where we could just tell each other that. Like, look, God's doing a work in your life. We were talking to a couple the other night. We're like, man, look at what God's doing in your life. The all-powerful creator of the universe is working on you. How amazing is that? We ought to encourage each other. We ought to praise this when we see this in one another. When people are seeking to apply the word, in their, the word of God in their life, that's awesome. That's something that's worth praising. We need to encourage each other in this. Encourage each other with scripture. I know many of our leaders, often throughout the week, they'll just text encouraging scriptures to one another. And they'll say, hey, praying for Hey, praying for the scripture. We're, what? We're encouraging each other with scripture. Encourage people with the reality that God wants to see you succeed at the Christian life. God doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to win. And we need, in our groups, to encourage each other with this. I would argue that the best affirmation is rooted in the gospel, which means every glimmer of good in the life of God's children is blood-bought. Jesus died to make that a reality. See, the gospel of Jesus, it empowers us to live a whole new life today by the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. There's no greater power than that. Consider what Paul said in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is is the power of God. He doesn't say the gospel displays the power of God. He doesn't say the gospel manifests it or shows it or is a good illustration of it. No, he says the gospel, it is the power of God. And as Christians, we have the greatest power, the power of God, and we can encourage each other with it. There's a reason it's called the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the best, I mean, okay, pep talks and pointers, those are all well and fine, but the Holy Spirit says it's the gospel that's the power of God. It's the gospel that can change a person's life. And in our groups, we need to constantly and regularly just be preaching the gospel over each other. Look, brother, you're a daughter of God. You're a child of God. You're his son. He loves you. I mean, we have the best news in the world, and sometimes Christians are the grumpiest people in the world. And I am the most guilty person of this. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. I'm like a drama king sometimes. But the truth is, we have the power of God. We have the most encouraging thing we could have. When someone in your group is struggling, remind them of how Christ views them as God's child. Encourage them with the fact that they are loved with an everlasting love. The world is constantly tearing us down. Our groups ought to be the one place where we can go and encourage each other and build each other up. Regularly rehearse the truths of the gospel to your group. God is perfect. Jesus lived perfectly for me. He is my righteousness. God loves me. He died for my sins. I am loved and forgiven. God is powerful and mighty. Jesus rose from the dead. I am more than a conqueror in him. Get that. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus. That sin that you struggle with, that thing you just can't get victory over, God says you are more than a conqueror. And our Connection Group Bible studies ought to be a place where we hear that on a regular basis. You are are more than a conqueror in him. God is powerful and mighty. Jesus rose from the dead. God is alive and present with me. He sent his spirit to be with me and in me. I'm not alone or without the power to overcome. God is for me, not against me. Man, we have the best news in the world. Our connection groups, that'll be a place of spiritual affirmation where we're constantly building each other up. People need encouragement. And we have the most encouraging, the most powerful news in the world. And you know what the cool thing is? 
when I'm speaking life to you and you're speaking life, like literally, when you're, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, it does something in your own heart, doesn't it? Because as you rehearse these truths, you get excited about it. And because it's the power of God, it's doing something in your heart and in your life. So encouraging other people and speaking life to them, actually, it's like the circle. The life just comes right back to you, and you get that right back in return. And a growing Christian will place themselves in an intentional community where there is spiritual affirmation. You can get discouraged on accident. You can get discouraged without being intentional. And in our world, sometimes we need intentionality in our lives where we know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine in your mind being in a group, having this community, having this group of people in your life, excuse me, where there's a desire to see the word of God change you, where there's a desire for greater application, where there's a desire to be changed by the word of God. Imagine being in a group where there's this mutual life-giving accountability to one another. When people see your blind spots and you can see their blind spots and there's no judgment, there's no, there's no harassment, there's just life-giving. Imagine being in a group where every week you know you're going to get encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. As individual believers, every single one of us have the power to make that type of group a reality. You don't have to be the leader. You've got to love Jesus. You, got to be, you have to have a desire to be intentional about these things. Say, nobody does that in my group. Uh, this morning I read Ezekiel 37 where God, the Holy Spirit used Ezekiel to raise a whole valley full of dead people to life. If the Holy Spirit can use Ezekiel to raise a whole dead people full of life, he can use you and your group to encourage him in the gospel. We have the power of God, and as individual believers, we have the ability to make this group a reality, but it's not going to happen unless we intentionally place ourselves into community. Earlier in the sermon, I told you I was a professional lawn killer. Then I showed you a nice backyard. You guys want to see what my yard looks like now? I think we got a picture. Yeah, there it is. You say, what happened? I got busy. Life got crazy. Our our third child was born. You know, life life gets nuts. The backyard didn't get the same time. It didn't get the same attention. And it died. Like we said, you don't get a great-looking backyard on accident. You get a dead one full of weeds. No life. doesn't look nice. It's not growing. But it isn't true in our lives. We're not intentional. We just let life get busy. We don't place ourselves into community. Before we know it, our spiritual life starts to feel more like my backyard looks now. I'm going to have a bunch of people over this afternoon, and we're going to all run around on a dead backyard. (laughs) The truth is, unless we're intentional, that's how our spiritual life starts to feel, unless we place ourselves into community. That awesome Christian community, a spiritually thriving connection group Bible study is a lot like that lush green backyard. It will not happen by accident. So the question and the challenge I place before us as a church today is, will we intentionally place ourselves in an environment where we can experience this kind of growth? Will we place ourselves in community with other believers through one of our connection group Bible studies? Remember, a growing Christian always places themselves in intentional community with other believers. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.